Our scripture reading for today comes from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 10, verses 40 through 42. These are the words of Christ. Whoever welcomes you welcomes me, and whoever welcomes me welcomes the one who sent me. Whoever welcomes a prophet in the name of a prophet will receive a prophet's reward. And whoever welcomes a righteous person in the name of a righteous person will receive the reward of the righteous. And whoever gives even a cup of cold water to one of these little ones in the name of a disciple, truly I tell you, none of these will lose their rewards. Let us pray. Lord Jesus, fill us with your spirit that we might be faithful disciples that welcome others into your presence, no matter the cost. Now, Lord, I ask that the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. Amen. Well, for the last couple of weeks, we've been traveling through the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 10, and it's gotten kind of ominous. It's sounding pretty dangerous. Jesus is talking about discipleship, and it, it almost sounds like a threat. It makes me wonder... Just what are we getting into when we decide to follow Christ? He starts off by saying that he's sending us, all of us disciples, he's sending us out as sheep among wolves. I don't like the sound of that a bit. Uh, I don't know a whole lot about farming, but I know wolves eat sheep. Uh, that's, that's their day job. And the idea that we're being sent out into dangerous territory. That kind of scares me a little bit. Jesus goes on in, earlier in Matthew 10 to, to say that uh, when they drag you before the magistrates and governors, don't be concerned. He doesn't say if they drag you, but they're going to drag you in, in before leaders, leaders who are going to persecute you and, and have you punished for your faith. He talks about uh, facing physical uh, facing physical persecution. Uh, he says, don't fear those who are only going to kill the body. Well, that seems like a pretty big deal to me, to fear people that might kill my body. Jesus says that might happen. Don't worry about it. He goes on earlier in the chapter to say that, uh, that houses are going are to be divided against one another, that siblings will turn against siblings that our enemies will be members of our own household. None of that sounds pleasant to me, not in the least. And so this picture of discipleship that Jesus is painting sounds very dangerous. Exactly what does he expect of us? To what is it that we are saying yes? Uh, what are we in for? I mean, really, when I, when I read through chapter 10, I feel almost like I'm reading some kind of legal disclaimer before you go bungee jumping. There's something bad that's going to happen here, I think. So what is so dangerous? Is, is our calling to go to other continents and share the gospel among people who might be violent? Is our calling to preach the gospel on the street corner on game day? Is our calling to share our faith with violent mobs who might destroy us? All of those things could be the case. Certainly throughout the history of the church, uh, people have faced all of those challenges. But what is Jesus calling us to? In Matthew 10, what is it about this discipleship that is so dangerous? As we move from, chapter, from verse 39 to verse 40, 
The text really turns. The whole tone changes, and we catch a glimpse of what this kind of discipleship looks like to Jesus. He's cautioned us on the front end. If you follow me, it might get rough, and this is what it might look like. But then at the very end of the chapter, he says, now if you're going to follow me, this is what I'm asking of you. This is what you're going to have to do. So after all of that buildup, after all of the talk of being dragged before magistrates, of persecutions, of divided households, after all of the drama in the early part of the chapter, Jesus says, now here's what I want you to do. Treat people right. Really? Jesus? All the buildup in the all those other first 39 verses was just to tell us to treat people right? Yep. Welcome one another. Welcome one another in the name of Christ. Welcome one another in the name of a disciple. Even if you would simply give a cup of cool water to one of these little ones, you're not going to lose your reward. And so the this thing called discipleship is about welcoming and serving one another. All the buildup almost threats about what it would be like, and it winds up being treat people right. The subversive nature of the gospel message is this. Love people. Love people deeply. That's the subversive, dangerous message that Jesus sends us out with. And it looks to me kind of scratching my head. Well, what's so dangerous about that? If, if what Jesus is calling us to do is to welcome one another, to treat one another right, why all the threats? Why all the cautions? What is so dangerous? Well, I, I don't have to think long before I begin to remember some of those things. Welcoming people can be dangerous in the ways that I have failed to do it sometimes. Remind me of why discipleship is such a hard thing. When I was in my high school years, I've shared with you before, I wasn't the most popular guy around by any means. I had kind of carved out my niche among uh, a select group of friends who we all treated one another pretty well. But other than that, I tried to stay low and, and avoid getting any more criticism for myself. Uh, I remember in my high school days, there was uh, a girl in my class she had some learning difficulties, and to be real honest with you, she didn't practice really good hygiene. Uh, sometimes she had a little bit of an odor about her when she came to school. Her hair was greasy and stringy, long, sandy blonde hair. Uh, most, most of the other kids would have told you that she wasn't the most attractive girl in the class. In fact, far from it. Um, so she really didn't have a whole lot going for her in high school. Uh, almost everything that could work against you in, in high school culture was working against this girl. Uh, so much so that as she walked down the hall, people would actively avoid her. They would walk around to the other side of the hallway to stay clear of her. And quite a few of my classmates uh, got quite a thrill out of taunting her. Uh, they pointed at her, they laughed at her, they made jokes about her. Uh, I really can't imagine the hell that she went through on a daily basis going through high school. Uh, it was really sad, and it saddened me at the time. I, I was a Christian then, and I, I, proud, I prided myself on my Christian faith because I wasn't mean to her. I would listen to how the other, my classmates would taunt her and, and bully her, and I would really take pride in myself because I didn't join in with them. 
I never said anything ugly towards her, and I thought really that was enough. I thought just not being mean to her would earn me some kind of brownie points. It would take a long time for me to learn. In fact, I'm probably still learning. That not being mean is not the same thing as welcoming. Not abusing someone is not the same thing as welcoming them. And while I never abused this girl, I never welcomed her. I never stood up for her when other people were bullying her. I never said kind words to her in the hallway. I never sat down at her lunch table to see how her day was going or to offer her uh, some kind of care. I avoided her because I was afraid that association with her would make me guilty as well. I was afraid if I associated with her, then I would endure some of the mistreatment that she endured. Kind of like Jesus suffers the mistreatment that we endure. I was willing to not be mean, but I was not quite ready to walk the way of a disciple yet. I, I read that disclaimer in Matthew chapter 10, and I wasn't quite ready to sign on the line just yet. I also know the difficulty of welcoming people from the times that I have gotten it right. I, I believe I got it right. Early in my ministry, I had the great privilege of making several trips to Mexico, uh, mission trips. We would travel down into some of the poorest places I've ever seen in my life. And we built churches for the people that lived there. We took medications for them, people who didn't even have access to things like aspirin. We would carry uh, eyeglasses, uh, people's disposed eyeglasses we would take down there for people to try on and use. Uh, we would spend four or five days in the village. What a wonderful time just to, to be transformed as we were also working to transform. Wonderful, wonderful trip. Some of the best times of my life. But I remember coming home, uh, especially from that first trip when I was, I was feeling so good about what we had done. And I remember coming home and hearing people really criticize and even attack me for our mission work. Well, why did you go all the way down there to those people, they asked me. Don't you know there are people right here that need our help? What, why were you going to them? And they became very critical because we were welcoming to the Mexicans in those villages. It kind of threw me off. And first off, we were actually serving the people in our local community. Uh, secondly, I never experienced in our local community the kind of poverty that I saw in those Mexican villages. But even more than that, in Jesus' call on us to be welcoming to others, do we really want to claim that Jesus is calling us to welcome our local neighbors? That he's calling us to welcome our local neighbors more so than our foreign neighbors? Do we really want to claim that, that, our, uh, that this Jesus that we worship is more concerned with the people that live next door to us than the people that live around the world? I'm afraid too often uh, in the American church we've lost sight of that, that all people belong and that whether they are our next door neighbor or the person that's continents away, that Christ's love is for them and our call is to welcome. And so I, I wasn't drugged before the magistrates and nobody beat me up for it, but I do understand how people can criticize you for welcoming someone. One of the best examples I've heard of of 
this kind of discipleship. Uh, Matthew 10, 40 through 42, that kind of discipleship. One of the best examples that I've ever heard of uh, occurred just in our neighboring state, a place called Koinonia Farm. Now the word Koinonia is a Greek word uh, and it means fellowship or community. It implies a very deep bond between people. Uh, the, the Reverend Dr. Clarence Jordan, along with another, another pastor and both of their wives, founded Koinonia Farm in 1942 over in, uh, over in Georgia. Now, it's situated about nine miles south of Plains, Georgia, about eight and a half miles southwest of America's Georgia, in other words, in the middle of nowhere. It is out far away from anybody. They started with about 400 acres. And uh, Reverend Jordan's dream was that they would build a farm where people from every background, every faith or no faith at all, every ethnicity could come and gather and live and work together Kind of like the church did in Acts chapter 2. His dream was to build an expression of the kingdom of God on earth. And he did it in 1942. A small group began working together. And, and over the days and months and years that followed, you, you would find uh, blacks and whites and, and other ethnicities. You would find people that were Christian and people that weren't, people that had no faith, all working together. All sharing life together, their children playing on the playground together, learning together. It was a, in many ways, a glimpse of what the kingdom looks like. They began to do fairly well. They contributed to the economies of Americas and Plains. They, uh, their produce became very popular and they were selling quite a bit of it. But then, but then the Supreme Court ruled and Brown forces the Board of Education in Topeka, Kansas. I would like to read to you from some of my research on that. Now this Cornelia Farm had been living in peace. They had been demonstrating the kind of welcome that I'm talking about today and been doing it beautifully. And then after the Board of Education decision, on May 17, 1954, in the landmark Brown versus Board of Education case, the United States Supreme Court ruled that state laws establishing segregated public schools were unconstitutional. While the residents of Sumter County had not exactly been welcoming the Cornelia Farm, in 1950 the nearby Rehoboth Southern Baptist Church excommunicated members of Cornelia for their views on racial equality. They at least tolerated the tiny farming communities. By the mid-50s, however, reeling from the Supreme Court's ruling, Sumter County had decided enough was enough. It began with a countywide boycott of Koinonia. People and shopkeepers ceased to buy from Koinonia Farm or carry its produce. They also refused to sell gasoline and fertilizer and other essential supplies to the farm. The farm's insurance was canceled and its bank accounts were closed. By late 1956, the citizens of Sumter County had, had stepped up their campaign of intimidation. People drove past the property at night, firing bullets indiscriminately, in some cases narrowly missing sleeping children. Burning crosses lit up the night. Farm equipment and roadside stands were dynamited. Phone calls woke, uh, phone calls woke residents up from their sleep, accusing them of being communists or inward lovers. Children of, children of Cornelia members faced daily harassment at school. 
In February 1957, a motorcade of 70 to 80 cars carrying members of the Ku Klux Klan visited Cornelia and asked members of the community to leave the state. When Dorothy Day from the Catholic Worker Movement visited the farm in the spring of 1957 and volunteered to sit night watch, a car drove past and fired a shotgun into her car. She was unharmed but badly shaken. Faced with these threats, Clarence Jordan and other members felt compelled to stay the course, to remain committed to the original vision, despite the risk. What an incredible story. Now understand, they were way out of town. They weren't bothering anybody. This wasn't a case where African Americans were going in, inserting themselves into places that had been deemed whites only. They were living out on the farm together in harmony, and the local white folks in, the, in Americas and Plains just couldn't stand the notion that some white folks might welcome African Americans. Consumed with hate, they tried to destroy the farm. It didn't work. The farm survived and thrived. Uh, in fact, it even plays a part in the history of Habitat for Humanity, which we support. I'm posting a link along with the uh, sermon this week. You click on that link and it'll tell you more of the story. But the story highlights for me the danger of being a disciple. Now, if, if we're only welcoming people that look like us and think like us, well, that's no big deal. But Jesus said even the heathens do that. Even people that don't recognize God welcome, one, welcome their friends. But this discipleship to which we've been called is about welcoming those folks like that girl in my high school class. It's about welcoming people that don't seem to fit in, that have been left out. When we do that, it'll be dangerous. Some people will give us a hard time. Jesus says, that's okay. In fact, he says, they did it to me. Don't be surprised, they're going to do it to you. When we think about discipleship, this kind of discipleship, I'm reminded of Oswald Chambers. Uh, Oswald Chambers says this, that the great problem with discipleship is that we look for some great thing to do. When Jesus took a, took a towel and washed the disciples' feet. That quote has stuck with me. I think sometimes in the church we get distracted by planning great initiatives. We want to change the whole world. And what Jesus did is he changed the lives of a dozen people. So perhaps what God is calling us to, maybe this discipleship thing, is about welcoming the people around us. About welcoming others. All others. Even in our time, people are divided over all sorts of things. But those of us who follow Christ extend a welcome to those that have been left out. That's what this discipleship looks like. It, it may be risky. It may be dangerous. But it's really not complicated. In fact, it's quite simple. Love and welcome others. All others. If we so much as extend a cup of cool water to one of those that has been left out or left behind, we'll not lose our reward. So this week, for our invitation, I want to invite all of us to intentionally welcome three people this week. Preferably, let's welcome three people that feel left out, that feel like they may not belong. Now, I know 
During COVID-19, we can't necessarily welcome in person, but we're smart folks. We can figure out ways, even with social distancing, to extend a welcome to somebody that might have been left out. Phone call, card. We could try this. We could make loving Facebook posts. Wouldn't that be a change? If we use social media to love the left out rather than to attack them. What a, what a revelation. This week, can we intentionally welcome three folks that might have felt left out? It's a small start, but it'll make a big difference. Amen.